0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. So without planning it, Father Benjamin, Jared, our curate, and I all chose to focus on passages about suffering. Church of the Redeemer didn't plan a sermon series on suffering, yet that topic is what the Holy Spirit has drawn each of us to preach on. Benjamin focused on Job and his lament for the injustice he suffered, yet God revealed himself to Job in the middle of his suffering. Jared's sermon encouraged us to seek out community in the church, the body of Christ, in the midst of our suffering. And I have been drawn to this topic because in the last 18 months, I have heard the sufferings of so many people. I have shared tears with women in Bible studies, pastoral care meetings and conversations over the phone, women in our church, women in our diocese, friends from college, family members, all sharing stories of hurt and sadness for themselves and especially for their children mostly for their teens who are suffering anxiety and depression from prolonged isolation. So though I feel pulled to this topic of suffering, I feel completely inadequate to address it. All I can really say to you is that as Christians, we are not promised a life without suffering, but a life where, when we suffer, Jesus meets us there. And strangely in today's passage about Paul's thorn in the flesh, We hear that Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness. Honestly, I can't think about suffering, seemingly meaningless suffering, without thinking of my friend and neighbor, Karen Kelly, whom some of you may know. When Karen was driving back from seeing her son-in-law, I mean her in-laws, she pulled over to the side of the road because she was having car problems, and an 18-wheeler hit them from behind, killing her three-year-old son Davis who was sitting in the back seat, (laughs) I'm sorry. Karen suffered severe injuries while her daughter, six-month-old Sophie was unscathed in the car seat. After suffering the horrible loss of Davis, Karen struggled to put her life back together. But eight years later, she was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. At that time, Sophie was around eight and really good friends with Anna zach was regularly in their house playing school sophie taught him his alphabet actually and i was um preoccupied with two-year-old elizabeth who was very active the news was devastating to our family our neighborhood and our wider community as the disease progressed i would have conversations with god that went something like this please heal karen she would be such an awesome witness for you if you just healed her I imagine her like fully healed and speaking to people about how jesus healed her but after begging i would usually end by saying but not my will yours be done and the amazing thing is that karen was a beautiful witness for god's grace and mercy she wrote blogs while she still could about her fears and her joys but mostly she wrote about how god met her in her in the midst of her suffering through vivid dreams visits with her friends and priests, even through the sound of owls asking who in the middle of the night when she couldn't sleep. At her funeral, Monsignor spoke of the gift of suffering and how he would bring her the prayer requests of others in the church. There's an old Catholic tradition, an old early church tradition, that the prayers of those who suffer are particularly close to the heart of God. The gift of suffering, he said, with air quotes. How can suffering be a gift? Paul doesn't use the word gift to describe his thorn in the flesh, but he certainly sees it in light of Joseph's statement in Genesis to his brothers. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. In this Old Testament narrative, Joseph's brothers, the fathers of the tribes of Israel, sell their brother Joseph, their father's favorite, as a slave. Though enslaved and then imprisoned, Joseph eventually becomes the steward of Egypt and second to Pharaoh. God uses the evil that his brothers did to him to save thousands of people and even his own brothers from starvation. Joseph tells them at the end of the narrative, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God can use any circumstance even evil for his own purpose. And though there is a little of Joseph's story in Paul's thinking, he mostly sees his thorn in the flesh through the crucifixion of Jesus and his suffering for our sins. But to understand this passage a little bit better, we need to go back and understand the first section where Paul refers to visions in Revelation. So go ahead and open your Bibles to um, 2 Corinthians 12. This is the second letter that Paul has written to the Corinthian church, and he's addressing all kinds of problems. This church is full of problems. At the beginning of chapter 10, Paul's tone changes, and he vigorously defends himself and his ministry. The Corinthian church claims that super apostles have come to preach, and they come across as bolder and speak better than Paul does. They brag about the miracles they do and their credentials, and they are so amazing they require payment for their fancy speeches these guys must not have heard about jesus washing his disciples feet paul is furious and jealous for this church he's poured his heart and soul into for 18 months he didn't ask for money because he was supported by other churches so as not to burden the corinthians not because his message wasn't worth it or worth as much paul boasts of his credentials in supporting his ministry but almost sarcastically And then we reach this point in the text, chapter 12 begins, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Even though he speaks of himself in third person, he instead of I, Paul is clearly talking about his own vision of being taken up into heaven and this mysterious revelation. He only speaks of this to gain the trust of the Corinthian church to combat this notion that he is weaker than the super apostles. Yet Paul embraces this counterculture notion that in his weakness, Christ is strong. But for all his accomplishments, Paul would rather focus on his weakness. He also realizes that this vision, this revelation was given to Paul for his own encouragement. Gifts given by the Holy Spirit are meant to build up the body, the, um, the church, the body of Christ. But sometimes they are for personal edification that the Lord only means for individuals. Paul had determined that this revelation was not a gift for the body and bragging about it would not build up or encourage others. It would just make him look superior, like he thought he was better than everyone else, which would have undermined his ministry and made preaching the gospel an act of hypocrisy. Paul wanted to be like Jesus, who did not go around telling everyone how awesome he was and how many miracles he had performed that day. And I wanna stop here because Judson brought up something really interesting in our discussion of this passage. He said that it's really easy for us to sit back and make fun of these super apostles, but that we can fall into the same trap of pride and arrogance. We would rather appear strong than vulnerable. So I had to stop myself and ask, do you and I speak about spiritual things as a way of bragging about our insightfulness or blessings? that sort of Instagram life we like to project to the world of how much love and fun we're having, how blessed we are when we are really alone and depressed on the inside. Have you fallen into the habit of loving the gift more than the giver? Following this amazing encounter of Revelation, Paul says that, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. What are we to make of this? It was given as a Jewish way of passively implying that God gave him the thorn in the flesh, yet Satan uses it to torment him. That sounds like we've landed back into Job, where God allows something bad to torment Paul, who has done nothing to deserve such suffering. I think we have to tread really lightly here. Paul is addressing a Greek audience that believes if you appear weak, you are less important or valuable. In Jewish culture, many believe that disease and weaknesses were caused by sin. We, you and I, need to be careful about judging someone else's pain or weakness as something that reflects their personal sin or makes them less worthy of our time and attention. And what is this thorn of the flesh? No one really knows. Some people think it's a physical ailment. Others think it was referring to a personal adversary. I lean toward... The idea of it being a physical ailment that other people could see. Something like a limp or a speech impediment or eye disease. The Corinthian church clearly knew what it was and had judged him as weak because of it, not like these super apostles. But Paul says that he suffers to keep him from being conceited. Or as some translators, translations say, to keep me from exalting myself paul is arguing that this thorn in the flesh is allowed by god to keep him humble it does not make him less have less authority than these super apostles and it is not caused by sin but it does give paul humility what is it about suffering that keeps us from being full of ourselves how did suffering make paul a better missionary suffering uniquely gives us a proper perspective by reminding us of our dependence on God's grace and on the help of others. So in the last three years, I have taken all three children to the ER. And when an illness or injury sends you to the ER, it's usually because you have no other options. Your pediatrician can't fix it, or the problem needs to be diagnosed quickly with special machines, an X-ray, MRI, CT scan, ultrasound. Even if you are putting on a brave face for your kid, you know down deep that your child is in the ER because she is in danger for great pain. Our mortality is exposed. Our breakable, degrading bodies are jars of play. Their physical bodies had become my priority, the priority of doctors and nurses, and my plans were insignificant. I personally do not believe that God inflicts pain and suffering on us but I do believe that God can use these moments to refocus our attention. As C.S. Lewis says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to raise a deaf world, to rouse a deaf world. Paul reminds us that we are not self-sufficient, We are not the deciders of our fate. It, pain does, sorry. Pain reminds us that we are not self-sufficient. We are not the deciders of our fate. It forces us into a position where we need grace. It pries our fingers open so that we might receive the grace of God because we know in our own strength, we can't possibly do it. When you experience physical pain, sickness, injury, or accident, you are forced to let go of your plans your agenda, your to-do list. The suffering becomes your focal point and everything else fades away. You must rely on the kindness of friends or even strangers to help you through. And Jared reminded us last week that suffering draws us into community and our need for each other. And in the depths of our suffering, we cry out to God to get us through it. Pain forces us to turn toward God and ask for help. And that is exactly what Paul does. He cries out three times to God to take the thorn away. And three times can be literally three times or figured to believe many times, but whichever way you interpret it, he still gets the same answer. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And now don't you feel like Job back in the ash pit? (laughs) What do you mean you won't take it away? that his grace is sufficient. We stumble into the same question that Father Benjamin posed in his sermon on Job, the one that the Satan implies to God about his servant Job. Are you only following God because of what he can do for you? Does Paul only serve God because of the cool healings and miracles he can perform through God's power? Or does he serve God because God alone is worthy to be served? my grace is sufficient for you some of you may come from church backgrounds where you hear grace and think about grace from punishment a judicial sort of view but the grace that paul refers to is bigger than this idea charis can mean grace kindness and favor towards someone it can mean gift benefit credit words of kindness and benefit thanks or blessing because grace kindness favor blessing is something you can't earn, we can receive it easiest when we are weak. It comes to us best when we can't make it happen. We can only accept it with outstretched hands, like a child putting up her hands for her daddy to hold her. I think Paul is referring to the grace of Christ's presence with him in his suffering. God mysteriously enters into our suffering and is present with us. When I was in college, I usually dragged a friend or two along to a Good Friday service. I remember one friend Amy saying to me after one of these services, sometimes I feel like Good Friday is more meaningful to me than Easter. I think part of what she was expressing is that through the retelling and remembrance of Jesus' crucifixion, we come to understand that Jesus knows our pain. He experienced what, we, what it means to suffer, to be betrayed, to be mocked and abused, To be punished for a crime he didn't commit and then that knowledge of what it feels like to be vulnerable to be human jesus enters into our suffering and makes it his own our suffering connects us to jesus suffering in some ways it makes suffering holy paul continues this idea of christ's presence in the midst of suffering in verse 9 Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. This idea of Christ may rest on me, some translations dwell in me, is reminiscent of this Old Testament images of the Shekinah glory of God that rests in the tabernacle and in the first temple. It's the same imagery that the gospel writer John uses when he speaks of the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. It's this ongoing promise and desire of God to dwell with his people. And here Paul says that Christ comes to dwell in or rest on us in our suffering or in our weakness. Just as we saw with Job and Jairus and his little girl, the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, and for Paul and his weakness, God comes and meets us in the midst of our pain. Throughout the gospels, Jesus is drawn to those who are suffering and in need. So within our suffering, God meets us and offers himself. As Tish Warren, Harrison Warren puts it, so in hardship, we do not look to Jesus solely as one who has been there before, once upon a time in a distant past. We find he is here with us in the present tense. He participates in our suffering even as mysteriously, in our suffering, we participate in the fullness of Christ's life. Paul ends his boasting by stating, for when I am weak, I am strong. The idea of weakness being strength is like other paradoxes in Christianity, or as Rachel Held Evans refers to it, the Jesus remix. In Jesus' parables and teaching, the first is last and the last is first. Those who were lost are found the poor are rich and the weak are made strong. Now Paul had already written to the Corinthian church about strength and weakness. Greek culture glorified strength, beautiful speeches and physical prowess. So the idea of worshiping a God that had been crucified flew in the face of everything they knew about power and hierarchy. Paul writes to them in his first letter, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than, than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God uses those things which we think are foolish and weak to display his wisdom and strength. That is why Paul is, when Paul is weak, he is strong. Paul continues this thought of God's power and weakness in his second letter, too, a few chapters before our passage today. Paul is setting up this contrast between his crew who established the church in Corinth and these super apostles who appear more powerful. Paul says in chapter 4, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For Paul, God's presence, his power is at work in these jars of clay, our earthly bodies. It is the same idea that relates to strength and weakness. God's power is displayed through Paul's weakness and through our own weakness. So what would this idea of strength and weakness look like here at Church of the Redeemer? How could we put on our Jesus glasses and see those who appear weak as strong? How can you and I embrace our weakness, our suffering, and find Jesus closer to us in the midst of it? of it and how can we as a church as the body of christ be jesus to one another in the midst of suffering so through these last passages several passages and sermons i have discovered that the gift of suffering is not really the gift the gift is really jesus who meets us in our sufferings god mysteriously uses situations even bad ones, to draw us closer to him and into his presence. And with that different lens, I'm not sure that I would call Karen's suffering a gift, but her life and the way she lived through her suffering with her eyes on Jesus was a gift to me. And I think to all who Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, by your patience and suffering, You hallowed earthly pain and gave us the example of obedience to your Father's will. Be near us in our time of weakness and pain. Sustain us by your grace that our strength and courage may not fail. Heal us according to your will. And help us always to believe that what happens to us here is of little account if you hold us in eternal life, our Lord and our God. Amen. And now let us stand and affirm our faith through the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. He got not made